0: What is the Podcaster Matrix? The Podcaster Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. Hidden eyes following you. A cold chill crawling up your spine. The hairs on the back of your neck standing straight up. Do you know what that is? It's fear. fear. Fear is the most basic human emotion tied into our instinct to survive. Fear gives us the means to overcome great odds or cripple us with paralyzing dread. Fear can also entertain. Turn off all the lights, lock your closet door, and ignore the sounds from beneath your bed. It's time for Two Guys Talking Horror. The phrase, Hollywood has run out of ideas, has been used a lot over the last few decades by movie fans. With studios cranking out lackluster sequels, prequels, reimaginings, reboots, and remakes, it's no wonder cinema-goers have become jaded. The most frustrating part of this is most fans would be fine with Hollywood remakes if Hollywood would remake films that needed remaking. And no genre is more ripe for the remake harvest than horror movies.
1: Too often, we, the horror fans, are subjected to releases that have no connecting tissue to its original, other than a name and a gimmick. Most remakes are blatant cash grabs, but sometimes, and believe me, it's a rarity, studios actually deliver a product worthy of its predecessor. Hell, some even surpass the original. Grab your scorecards, because it's time for Two Guys Talking Horror to count down the seven best horror remakes on this episode of Lethal Listings.
0: Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, to another edition of Two Guys Talking Horror. I'm one of your hosts, Nicholas J. Hearn.
1: And I'm your other host, Jason Cantini.
0: Jason, welcome to another episode of Lethal Listings.
1: Yeah, these are always fun to do.
0: Uh, Who doesn't love a good list? Because then it gives you an opportunity to debate on whether or not your list was correct.
1: Yeah, yeah. And because, you know, all of this is so subjective, you know, art in any form, whether it's a horror film or, you know, some sort of high-end art house film either way all art is subjective so it's always fun to to have this kind of debate of what is the best and what's the worst and whatnot so these are always fun to do
0: right and and of course everybody needs to remember this is just our opinions right uh, jason and i actually wrote down a list of all of the horror remakes that we thought were good and then we compared those lists we we took all of the doubles and we took the ones uh, the, the, literally it took us for a very long time to whittle things down. And then after we whittled, we had to decide, well, which ones are are better than the others, which ones deserve the number seven spot and which one deserves the number one spot. Right. So it took us a while to create this list. But of course, most people will have their own list and most people will think that some of these films uh, either don't belong on this list or there's a lot of films that are missing on this list right so of course we always encourage people to reach out to us and let us know what they think but before we get into the the nitty gritty of this episode let's do a little bit of quick housekeeping (laughs) horror in comics now it's no surprise when i say that jason and i are huge comic fans hmm And because of that, we are actually a part of another podcast called My Big Fat Pull List. Now, of course, on that podcast we are in our superhero disguises, so please don't tell anybody. <laughs> don't let the Legion of Doom or the Masters of Evil know where we are.
1: Yeah, we're we're trusting you with our secret. <laughs>
0: Right. <laughs> and if you can't trust horror fans, who can you trust? Yeah, I mean, really? Come on. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what what we did is uh, there was actually a really great episode of My Big Fat Pull List where we had another list episode. 10 key characters in horror comics
1: yeah i remember that yeah that was fun
0: Uh, that was it was a fun it was a big episode but it was fun and very informative too i want to make sure that anybody who's interested in characters and then this is not just characters from marvel comics or dc comics we're talking comic books in general so it, it everywhere we talk about characters from image from boom from dark horse all over the place so we want to encourage folks who enjoy a little bit of horror in their comic books to check out that episode. There'll be a link to that episode in the show notes on our website. And uh, if you happen to enjoy what you hear, why don't you uh, stick around, subscribe to my Big Fat Pull List, and let them know that the guys from Two Guys Talking Horror sent you. Okay, Jason, before we jump into this list, I want everybody to know how this is going to go. We're gonna We're going to talk about the movie, of course but the real discussion is going to revolve around whether or not it lives up to the original or surpasses the original okay which might be a little controversial because there are a lot of purists out there thinking well, well the original is always going to be the best sorry that's not always the case that isn't always the case no it's not always the case for your listening enjoyment sit back relax and enjoy these 7 Best Horror Remakes Number 7 The Blob Released on August 5th, 1988, The Blob was directed by Chuck Russell, with screenplay by Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont, starring Shawnee Smith, Kevin Dillon, and Joe Seneca. I gotta tell you, Jason, I remember when this movie came out hell i remember the trailer oh wow for the movie on other vhs's that i was renting at the time and the image especially the image on the vhs and it is transferred of course now onto the uh the dvd and i i think that there's a blu-ray now i think scream factory might have actually just put oh yeah oh wow but it's it's pretty much the same image. It's it's somebody, it's a character from the film who is enveloped in the blob and his hand and face are, are, are pushing out of it as you can see him melting. And that image has stuck with me for years. Mm. Absolutely terrifying. And I remember watching this film, of course, you know, when you're younger, it came out in uh, 88, so I'm only not, you know, you and I, are, we're nine years old. Right, right. So we're only really paying attention to the scary stuff. We're not really paying attention to the story aspects. Oh, there's a guy with long hair and a motorcycle. He's cool. He's got to be the hero. Oh, there's the girl. She must be the one that has to has to be saved. The thing is, though, is that role reversal completely because Shawnee Smith goes from playing the character who, okay, so she's going out on a date and she'll be and she'll scream a lot and. I would actually say she's more of the badass hero character in this movie than Kevin Dillon is. Because Kevin Dillon kind of just doesn't want to have anything to do with it. But then once Shawnee Smith's character kind of gets wrapped up into it, he's like, Ugh,
1: damn it. Which is kind of an interesting thing if you think about it. It kind of plays into something I was going to say as soon as you you started talking about the film. It's interesting that a film, especially a horror film, from 1988 would have that as a focus other than linda hamilton i mean let's let's face it linda hamilton or sigourney weaver you know women in horror films were pretty much just damsels and running from the monsters you know so it's kind of interesting but but it also kind of plays into the fact that what i was going to say was i cannot believe that, (laughs) that this film is what 30 plus years old now. I mean, I just, it to me, gosh, it still seems like it's, it's a new film to me, but I guess it's not. But, but it is interesting that, that this film in 1988 was doing things like that. And of course, like you said, we don't pick up on things like that because we're kids and we're, we're watching it because of the effects and, oh, look, it's a cool blob. But, but yeah, I just, you know, it's kind of an interesting point
0: when you go back to that that era i'd say 70s and 80s and maybe a little bit into the 90s where women in horror are concerned most of the time yes they're they're just running around Mm -hmm. trying to survive the monster and get lucky Mm because you know they finally build up that courage and they take them out this is actually a character you know shawnee smith's character in this yeah she's running from the monster but she's also Smart about it.
1: I was going to say, yeah, she's not. She's not just your typical bimbo, like the line in Scream where uh, Nev Campbell says they're stupid. They're just about big-breasted bimbos running up the stairs when they should be running out the door,
0: right, um, right? And
1: and she is she is not that.
0: Yeah. Another thing I liked about it, and it's been so long since I've watched the original. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was the original Blob also comprised of? germ DNA was it something that the government made and it fell back to earth
1: you know that sounds right it's been a while since I've seen the original and I've actually seen the original more often than the remake yeah I I am a little more familiar with the original than the remake but it's been a, a, a long time since I've seen either but it, it does sound familiar and i i think it did have something to do with that because you're talking about a film that came out of the atomic age i mean right you know even if it isn't some sort of germ comprised you know whatever it might be the result of government radioactive testing or something just because of the era but essentially yes if i remember correctly i think it's the same thing
0: well i'm sure if there's any listeners out there that know differently they'll they'll reach out and tell us and please do yes but the point that I'm trying to make is that uh, we we get an awesome performance from character actor Joe Seneca, who has been in, uh, he, he had a long, illustrious career before showing up in this movie. And he brings the gravitas of his experience to the character of the evil government scientist. Mm-hmm. Because you think he's there to help, and then you find out, oh, he just cares about getting his blob back. Mm-hmm. And and this, in this updated remake version, yes, it's okay. So germ warfare is a thing. It's the next best thing in warfare. So what if we exposed it to cosmic radiation? I mean, it sounds very comic booky. It almost sounds, you know, Fantastic Four-ish. It does. But, kinda, but yeah. that was, that was the premise. They, they shot the germ up into space and it, it landed after being exposed to cosmic radiation And this is what happened. It turned into a flesh, a sentient flesh eating killing machine. The fact that these effects for this movie still to this day, 30 plus years later, hold up for the most part. I'm I'm going to say most of the gore effects, all of the blob effects hold up. Yeah. Any of the green screen stuff? Eh, not so much.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, matting uh, and and keying and on all that kind of stuff was quite a bit different back then. I mean, even in a great effects driven film, like something like one of the star Wars films of the eighties, the matting is still, it's just, it's just a product of that time.
0: Right, Um, Right. But,
1: but yes, I agree with you that the, the matting aside, the green screen aside, for the most part, the basic effects still hold up.
0: Well, and that brings us to the great debate, which one of these films is superior the original or the remake and and the criteria for this is not going to be about the effects we can't We can't do that because two totally different eras right, so what I want to make it about is the story and the enjoyment factor
1: well for me that's that's difficult it, really to kind of look at where this particular debate is concerned because As I said, it's been a while since I've seen both, and I know the original much more. Mm -hmm. So as far as which has the better story, it's tough. As far as enjoyment factor, I certainly enjoy the remake. I am a huge, as you know, fan of those cheesy 1950s post-radioactive monster movies you know drive-in style movies mm-hmm. so for me i get probably more enjoyment out of the original but um uh, you know and if i was just basing it just off of enjoyment i would have to go with the original but story yeah i don't know that's a tough one what's what about you what's your what's your view on it
0: well i too enjoy the cheesy b movies of the long lost decades of the 50s and the 60s and of course you know who who could deny the sex appeal of one steve mcqueen of course yep yeah. but for me i think it's it it's wrapped up more in nostalgia because i used to watch this movie all the time when i was a kid oh sure yeah yeah i had it uh uh recorded off of hbo before that i was renting it all the time so i for me personally i think both story wise and enjoyment wise i'm going to have to go with the remake Number six,
1: Horror of Dracula, or just Dracula, as it's known in the UK. Released on May 7th, 1958, Horror of Dracula was directed by Terence Fisher, with a screenplay by Jimmy Sangster, starring the always amazing Peter Cushing, Michael Gow, Melissa Stribling, and of course sir christopher lee now nick you know i'm kind of obsessed with hammer films and christopher lee and christopher lee in fact <laughs> little little known little known fact i'm not sure if i ever shared this with you but but maybe i have the very first celebrity i ever wrote a piece of fan mail to was christopher lee
0: i remember you telling me this years ago yeah
1: i was gosh i don't know maybe 9 or 10 years old something like that and I wrote to him and he was evidently not in the UK at the time. He was in France, I believe, working on, uh, oh gosh, I think it may have been a, a Three Musketeers movie. I think he was playing Cardinal Richelieu. In some, I, I I don't even know. I got a very nice response from his manager and I got an an actual original autographed photo. Uh, of christopher lee uh so it wasn't necessarily personalized but uh the fact that they actually had someone there responding to fan mail was i thought pretty awesome and and made my nine-year-old year year, i (laughs) think and i still have that to this day Uh, i love that thing i always take it out and look at it but anyway I, i digress horror of dracula technically yes this is a remake You know, people are there going, wait a minute. What is this a remake of? Was there a horror of Dracula before? Uh, Well, no, there wasn't a horror of Dracula. But like I said, horror of Dracula was the American title in the UK. It was just called Dracula. The intent behind this film, as well as its companion film, The Curse of Frankenstein, was to take the old universal horror films and remake them with what was then the modern technology and modern approach to filmmaking? This is definitely a a remake, and oh my gosh, what an amazing this is probably the first hammer film I ever saw yeah uh, I, I would think if I rummaged through my memory banks, but um <laughs> Uh yeah this is probably the first Hammer film I ever saw and just I remember just being in awe of it because sure it's 1958 sure you've got some some aspects of the film that make it dated by today's standards or even by the 1980 standards when I probably first saw it but at the same time I think it's still holds up. And the majority of the reason for that, I think, is the screenplay is so very well put together. It's not much like the book, but, you know, what Dracula movie is, <laughs> um, right, right. you know, I mean, it certainly makes changes, but, uh, you know, the screenplay is so well, well crafted as a film. And the biggest thing is the performances. I mean, yeah. you've got some of the greatest talent not just in British film history, but in film history, all in this one film. And those are hard to top. Those performances are very, very hard to to beat. And I think that that helps. And of course, the incomparable Terence Fisher, who directed, you know, it's, damn near everything. Uh, yeah,
0: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. We're, I
1: mean we're, we're, we're joking. Of course, he didn't direct everything. But it seems like every time you put a Hammer film on, Terrence Fisher's name is all over it it's just so so atmospheric and and the pacing is so good and you know and sure we could talk about other dracula films that have come since and yeah sure every time they make a dracula film that is based on the book yeah you could technically say that that is another dracula remake oh yeah it is but most of the time those are films that that are really trying to make the book whereas this while trying to make the book was specifically and intentionally relaunching the old universal stuff with with the modern hammer flare, which i i think to me really solidifies its place as a remake more than any other dracula film
0: right because the original 1931 universal dracula is based off of the stage play that is based off of the book. Right. And because it's a play, and then all they did was just took the script and kind of tweaked it a little, all of the action takes place off-camera.
1: Yeah, essentially,
0: yeah. And to compare the two, the only thing that I would say they have in common is the fact that they keep the gothic feel. Yes. You know, let's not count the fact one's in black and white, one's in Technicolor, Mm -hmm. so that you could see the bright red blood. The paint-colored
1: blood, yeah. I love love Hammer blood. It's so ridiculous, but I love it. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to derail No,
0: no, 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 you didn't derail (laughs) me. It it just makes me smile, because when you think of Hammer films, you think of the bright red blood and all the cleavage. And all the cleavage, yep. All that cleavage. And sometimes in the same shot together. Exactly. And, and and for me, it's I'm I love both camps of film. I'm more associated with the Universal Monsters than I am with Hammer because I didn't grow up watching Hammer. Mm-hmm. I was only recently introduced over the last handful of years to Hammer films. I'd seen a handful of them when I was younger, uh, like sci fi sci fi channel would play. Oh, sure. Old Hammer films. You know, of course, they were edited. For me, it was like, always was like, well, Bella Lugosi's got that, he's got that, that accent, but that's the appeal of the original, because technically speaking, if Lugosi wasn't keeping you captivated in that original film, you'd fall asleep mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because nothing happens. You know, I think that that is certainly
1: the appeal of the original film is the performance of Lugosi. Um, And sure, the atmosphere is very good and the direction is is very good in it and and it's still a great film and I I love it. And overall, I probably lean more towards Universal films in general. But in this case, I'm going to have to go with Horror of Dracula over the original, personally. I I don't know about you, but I I think I'm going to have to go with the the remake in this case.
0: My opinion is... Uh, again and i I've, I've i've kind of stated my case during this conversation is uh yeah there's a there's a warm place in my heart for the original dracula because of bella lugosi but that's about it mhm yeah because wh- you take him out and there's not much to that film that grabs you right whereas in horror of dracula you have these great performances from these awesome actors and things actually happen. Yeah, they do. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. You're right. And uh, I'll even take this a step further out of all of the remakes and reimaginings of Dracula. I find this one to be the most entertaining.
1: Oh, I I, I absolutely would agree with that.
0: Yeah. Because I feel like after this one, all of the others kind of just get, stuck in that so we have to take original universal and hammer and shove them together yeah and make make dracula and let's toss some more book stuff in there too i haven't like fully enjoyed a dracula film more than i have the first two the original and then this remake and for me the remake's better yep i agree (laughs) Number five, the fly released on August 15th, 1986. The fly was directed by David Cronenberg with screenplay by Charles Edward Pogue and David Cronenberg starring Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis and John Getz. Holy crap. (laughs) 1986, So figure by the time this comes to cable and VHS 1987, I'm eight years old and we've talked about this plenty of times on this podcast that I was allowed to see horror movies at a much younger age than I probably should have been allowed to. (laughs) Right. Right. And this one is no exception at such a young age. I don't know who David Cronenberg is. Later on, as I get older and I start appreciating film for the art form, as well as the entertainment, I start educating myself into Cronenberg. And, oh, yeah, well, this this shouldn't have been a big surprise had I known then what I know now. But my God, this movie just it it messes it messes you up because let, let me give you a kid's my my childhood perspective. I knew Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis from the film Transylvania Six Five Thousand. Oh <laughs> okay. And then you go to the fly and oh there's Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. And what the hell is happening to poor Jeff Goldblum? <laughs> Even today there are parts of that film that are I'm not gonna say scary, but definitely disturbing. Uh, especially all the puking stuff i mean i'm not afraid of the puking stuff it's just the the effects used for the melting scenes when the fly pukes on on flesh and it just melts
1: you know it's it's interesting that it had that kind of an effect on you because i this is one i actually did not see until much, much later. I I would probably say late 90s, maybe even early 2000s, before I finally saw The Fly. Wow. Uh, Yeah, I saw it it very, very, very uh, late in the game. And I love the original in in all of its campiness and cheesiness. So the first time I watched this, I was like, what is this? This is not The Fly at all. I mean, it is, (laughs) but this is not The Fly. What the hell is this? Initially, I couldn't stand the film. No. Probably, probably because of that, because it was so jarringly different from from what I knew with the original. Yeah, yeah, and and initially, I I really couldn't stand it. Now, over time, you watch it again and again, or whatever, and and you know, you know what you're getting into, and and my view on it has has changed uh, over time, and I I actually do enjoy it now, but. But yeah, it, it did not have that same kind of lasting effect on me as it did you, because I was, you know, damn near an adult when I saw it for the first time.
0: Right, right. Now, me, I remember the original. I saw, uh, again, sci-fi channel. God bless original sci-fi channel. And yes, of course, the original The Fly, It uh, it's a B movie. It is a B oh, movie. Well, no. It's a oh. fly oh. movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong, I... I... <laughs> even though I, I love the film, I am not in any way trying to say that the fly is a great film, <laughs> you know, no misconceptions here, but uh, right. Right. Anyway, sorry. Continue.
0: But I, I remember I enjoyed it for its cheese and its campiness of the time period. I hearken back to a film. Uh, I, I'm sure you, you Joe Dante did a film called matinee.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Starring John Goodman. Yeah. and, even though it was scary times, cause you know, you're living under the threat of the bomb. And I feel like I would have been, I was born in the wrong age because I feel like being a kid and just going to the cinema, you know, tossing, tossing my quarter and, and getting a ticket to go to see some of these at that point in time, wonderful films, but you know, now dated and and cheesy. Mm-hmm. I I love the original fly and it has a special place in classic cinema for what it was. But this movie, when you get older and you start understanding what Cronenberg was trying to talk about, I mean, he's literally he's talking about cancer. Yeah. And that's some that's some heavy shit right there. Yes, it is. I mean, when you take take the horror of the body transformation away and just put in your body is killing you, it kind of makes you think and. I can appreciate I I appreciate this film even more as an adult because of the themes that I did. I was not picking up as a child. I was just looking at it. like, Oh, my God, this is so freaky. Mm -hmm. Now it has so much more meaning. And I still feel like and and even though science has has gone leaps and bounds where cancer treatment is concerned and, and other diseases that basically just wither your body away, it's still relevant. Yeah, yeah. It is still very relevant today. So for me, I mean, I, I definitely have to say the remake is not only a better film, but also a more enjoyable film in that weird, it's got so many layers enjoyability and not the, wow, I'm I'm enjoying watching people be melted.
1: You know, I, I'm actually going to split on this because, Ooh. yeah. And again, part of it is because I, I grew up watching the old one Mm -hmm. original so much that i have ironically more nostalgia for that even though it came out what 25 30 years before i was born Uh, i have more (laughs) nostalgia for that film than i do for the remake of the fly so on on an enjoyability scale i'm gonna have to go with the original but that's just me but as far as overall film production quality and all of that. I don't really think there's much contest there. The remake, it just has more at its disposal. It investigates heavier themes. It takes a B film and makes something more out of it. So, yeah, I'm going to have to split. I'm going to have to split on that one. (laughs) Number four, Evil Dead. Released April 5th, 2013, Evil Dead was directed by, and forgive me if I mispronounce this, Fede Alvarez, with a screenplay by Fede Alvarez and Roto sayagus I assume is how you pronounce that, starring Jane Levy, Shiloh Fernandez, and Lou Taylor Pucci. This film was a movie I had no desire to see. I am such a fan of all of the original Raimi-Ash stuff. Yeah. That When I heard that this was being made now nearly 10 years ago, geez, can't believe that. (laughs) When I heard that this was being made, I just thought, no, why? What is the freaking point? And I avoided it. I didn't go to see it in the theater. I didn't want to. I started hearing things from people about how the film was done. And it had come during a time, there was that that five to eight year period there where we were getting all kinds of remakes of late 70s and 80s horror films. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th and... Halloween and all this stuff was getting remade and then Evil Dead comes along and I had been burned on so many of the others that I just thought, you know, I'm not doing this. I'm not watching this film. <laughs> I'm not going to ruin the Evil Dead by watching a crappy remake. But then I started hearing people talking about it. Most of the reviews were fairly positive. So once it was on DVD, I thought, okay, fine, I'll rent it or I don't know, Netflix it or whatever the hell I did. But I watched it, and son of a bitch, it was actually pretty fun. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Obviously, it takes the cheesy effects that Raimi essentially revolutionized and created in the original film and ups the ante with modern technology. But at the same time, the thing that's so great about it, I think, is that no matter how modernized, and I'm using quotation fingers on that, no matter (laughs) how, how modernized the effects are in the remake of this film, it still feels like the effects from the original. It still has that same sensibility to it which i found to be very welcoming i guess for someone who's such a a big fan of the old ones right the other thing that i found to be very smart about this is the idea that they did not try to find a new bruce campbell right i think that that is the number one reason why with this particular remake it succeeds because they were not, they, they kind of acknowledged right from the get-go, no one can be Bruce Campbell. No one can be Ash in that form in any way. So let's not even try to do that. Let's go a completely different direction. We're going to make our main character female. And I think it it works wonderfully. I think it's it's an astounding remake in the sense that it is a remake that probably didn't need to be done or ever should have been attempted and yet i thought they did a a good job i thought that they really pulled it off quite well
0: one of the reasons why modern audiences not not our generation but modern audiences enjoy the original evil dead is because the effects are cheesy
1: yeah most most laughable yeah they they like it because of its I don't want to call it camp, because it wasn't camp at the time.
0: But because of dating, because it, it has, has become camp. become camp, yeah. Serious camp. It's serious camp, because let's not forget, that first movie, there are no laughs.
1: I, I was going to say, we're, we're talking about the first film. We're not talking right. about Evil Dead 2 or Army of Darkness. Those are totally right. different approaches. But yes,
0: that first film. To also add to that, the character of Ash, or Ashley, as he was called, more in that yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. Was more of a reactionary character. He kind of survived just just out of pure luck. Yeah, he really does. Not yeah. because he was a badass or anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't or, come much later.
0: Right, that doesn't come until part two. Yeah. When this movie came about, I'm like, huh, you know what? I I, I I'll go see this. I want to see this. Because the concept of doing that movie, not the campy cheesiness of Dead by Dawn and Army of Darkness... But that first original film where it's a bunch of kids, they go into the woods to party, they they read something they shouldn't have read and wake up something that's going to rip their souls apart. Yeah. All right. And I tell you what, I saw this in the theater with a bunch of work buddies. Yeah. Holy crap, was I impressed. I, I yeah, I mean, I, again,
1: you know, I'm I'm kind of kicking myself for not having seen it in the theater and on the big screen because I, I just was astounded at the idea of taking this classic film. And usually you think when someone takes a remake and the remake in any genre is better than the original, it's 90% of the time because the original was maybe not that great a film to begin with. And the remake uses its remaking opportunity to improve upon it in some way. Well, with something like the evil dead, it's so good to begin with that you almost think there's no way to improve it. And I don't want to necessarily say that the remake of evil dead improved, but it, it at least got close.
0: Yeah. I I love the original stuff, but I think you have to, for me, I think I'm going to take, I'm going to take your fly standpoint and I'm going to split here Mm. because it's almost like comparing apples to apples, but it's comparing a Granny Smith apple to uh, a tart green apple. Ooh, good one. Because the original, even though the effects are dated, it does, in my opinion, it does still stand up story-wise.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I agree. Absolutely, it does.
0: And round of applause to the entire cast of that original, because even though they didn't go on to giant stardom, like some other people did, <clears throat> they all give one hundred and ten percent. They really do, yeah. And it shows in that film. Not only that, but then everybody behind the camera. But this remake, which I, I almost kind of feel bad calling it a remake, it's more of a reimagining. This one would almost be a reimagining, yeah. Because it's the same, it's the same aspect. We're not saying it's the same cabin because it's not. Right. These aren't the same kids because they're not right and that's not the same book cuz it's not right but the same shit happens to these kids only much much worse because the level of violence is almost exactly the same only because of what you can do with modern technology now you can make it look worse i mean i still cringe at certain scenes in in the in the remake that whole scene in the shower in the oh, bathroom, God! Where the yeah. where the 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 flesh is just melting off of her because it's boiling uh, water, uh-huh. and then she's she's taking a damn needle and gets the guy in the in the face in the eye. I'm oh. I yeah.
1: Yep, yep, yep. I'm still gonna go with the original, mostly because I do think that the original is a quality film still today, and um and the enjoyability factor for me just outweighs anything. So I'm still ultimately going with the original in this case, but it's a tough call. It's a hard one because this is a very, very good remake.
0: Number three, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Released October 17th, 2003, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was directed by Marcus Nispel with a screenplay by Scott Cossaire. Starring Jessica Biel, Jonathan Tucker, Erica Learson, and the great, late, R. Lee Ermey. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm sure we're going to have some uh, some debate from listeners here, but uh, I think you and I are kind of on the same page here.
0: First of all, right out of the gate, nothing touches Toby Hooper's original The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. For the way the film was made... How it was made and its legacy, there's there's almost no comparing it now as a reimagining updated reboot. This is one I saw in the theater, the advertisements and the trailers had intrigued me. I'm like, we're finally going to try this, are we? Because let's not let's not kid ourselves. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise petered out very quickly. Mm uh-huh. hmm. You know, the first one is classic. The second one was campy on purpose, because that's what Toby Hooper set out to do. Mm-hmm. The third one, uh, w- this is when we start ignoring continuity, because, mm-hmm. you know, Leatherface is alive, when we clearly saw a chainsaw go through his stomach, mm-hmm. and he blew up. But, you know, hey, whatever. <laughs> Movies! Movie magic! <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And then the fourth one, I'm sorry, uh, th- that fourth one. Oh, boy next generation oh my god i mean sure it's got matthew mcconaughey and renee zellweger but so yeah uh, uh, yeah yeah so so the franchise had had fizzled out so a remake was inevitable and damn it if it didn't look good because they were keeping it in the same time frame they were keeping it in an age where there was no cell phones they were keeping it small and isolated Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, this is one of those films while I was in the theater, I jumped a handful of times. There were some there's some good scares in this movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't recall if I saw it in the theater or if I saw it on DVD. I don't really remember. I just remember really wanting to see it and being very impressed when I finally did. And I just I remember thinking, my God, this this really ratcheted it up, and and really made this quite a a, a story and quite a film.
0: Yeah, this was a film where I was like, if Hollywood is going to remake my childhood favorites, like this, okay. Now, of course, that didn't end up happening, right? Because the majority of the rest of the remix, because let us not forget, this is a, this is a <laughs> this list is only seven long. Because we felt if we tried to stretch it to 13, like Lethal Listings usually is, either 7 or 13, if we tried to stretch it to 13, uh, we wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. But this one, wow. And I think it had everything to do with expectation. Because if you're a fan of the original you know how the original plays out. And of course these aren't the same characters or or at least the kids aren't right. These are not the those same kids. So it's not the same story being retold. It's the same situation. And I think that's where very similar to evil dead. That's where they got it. Right. Because it's, we're not trying to tell the story of Sally Hardestine, her, her brother and their friends driving out to an old family home and then stumble upon madness. Right. It's, these kids, they're just, they're just kids. They're coming back from a, a vacation from Mexico. They're going to a Leonard Skinnerd concert. They're, head, they're they're trying to get there to get to that concert. And they just, they just took the wrong road at the wrong time. And it sends them into this situation that just nothing good happens. And unlike the original where there's literally no blood, right this one it gives it oh i mean it's right in your face it's oh, yeah. modern horror you have to the, yeah i mean exactly. that's what audience want now yeah you had to and those especially those chainsaw effects good night
1: yep yep Ooh. and let's not forget in conjunction with the effects the sound because yes. sound is so incredibly important well in film in general, right. but it's so incredibly important in that original film. They really, I thought did a wonderful job of both honoring the original and creating their own unique sound for this film.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause it, the, the, those weird sounds that they put in mm-hmm. just like the original, it, it, it just makes you feel a little off. Yep. I hate to have to do this again. I might have to split. Oh. Because it. the original film is almost as if it's a found footage film. It's like a documentary. It's like you're not supposed to be seeing this. Yeah. Because it looks dirty and you feel dirty watching it. Yeah. To try to compare it to the remake, it's, it's impossible because they're two totally different feels.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the terror, the terror is there in both films. Yeah. So for me, again, this is this is another one where I have to push because I love them both. I think the only thing that the remake glosses over is the cannibalism. But then they bring that back around when they did the prequel, which also not not a bad flick. I still need to see that.
1: I have not seen that one yet. And
0: it it kind of fills in more holes that if you were scratching your head in the remake, uh, everything gets filled in here. Uh, In it, it, it's enjoyable, but I mean, it's a prequel. So, you know, anybody that's involved, they ain't getting out of this movie alive. Right. Right. (laughs) I'm going to have to split. I'm going to have to split because they're they're just they're both so great and trying to compare the two. I just can't I can't bring myself to do it.
1: I'm with you on this. I'm going to have to split as well for all the very same reasons. I, I really and I know that it's I know that it's not necessarily the most popular opinion amongst a lot of people there are a lot of people who um well i think fans in general are actually kind of split on the film now that i'm i'm kind of saying this out loud because there are a lot of people out there who hate this remake and it gets a lot of bad reviews from purists let's say yeah but at the same time there are a lot of people just like us who really love it so i think it it makes sense that you and i would both split on this film because it's a film that the fan base kind of splits on. But I, I really don't think that this is a film that you can skip out on when you're talking about, especially some of the best horror films of, let's say, the last 30 years.
0: Five down, two more to go. We're so close. What will our number one pick be? Do you have an idea? Well, keep it to yourself. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, but we will be back with more Two Guys Talking Horrors Lethal Listings, Seven Best Horror Remakes. Make your podcast soar with the editor core. The one question every podcaster needs to ask themselves is, why am I still editing my own podcast? We all know that editing your own podcast is the worst part of the podcast experience. Get the editing off your plate and reclaim more time to make more content with the Editor core. Affordable, talented, experienced podcast editors are ready to take your podcast literally to the next level, to make it soar. Make your podcast soar with the Editor core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. For most, Friday the 13th means Jason Voorhees. What a lot of people don't know, however, is that there was another Friday the 13th, the television series. Join your podcast hosts, Mike and Nick, as they review the search for cursed antique goods during a perspective review of Friday the 13th, the series. It's the Curious Goods Podcast. Check it out now at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com.
1: The most important part of any 911 call is location, location, location. Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, a 20-year veteran police dispatcher and the host of the Digitally Dispatch podcast. I've got the stories and education that matter when lives and location count. Check out my podcast at DigitallyDispatch.com and find out why it's all about location, location, location. Get Digitally Dispatched at DigitallyDispatch.com. That's DigitallyDispatched.com.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, to this edition of Two Guys Talking Horrors, Lethal Listings, the seven best horror remakes. Well, now it's time to get down to the nitty gritty, Jason. Yep. We've gone through five. We got two more to go. (laughs) Number two,
1: Dawn of the Dead, released March 19th, 2004. Dawn of the Dead was directed by Zack Snyder with a screenplay by James Gunn, starring Sarah Polly, Ving Rames, Jake Weber, Mackay Pfeiffer, Ty Burrell, and Michael Kelly. I think you know how I'm going to talk about this film because this. Is probably one of my 10 all time favorite horror films ever. Yeah. It was a film that I was interested in seeing. I wasn't quite sure why they were going to try to remake such a classic film and a film that I was such a hardcore fan of with the original. But I was interested, and the trailers looked good. And because Nick, you and I are both from the St. Louis area. And James Gunn is from the St. Louis area. And this is, again, everyone, keep in mind, this is way, way before Guardians. James Gunn was not James Gunn at the time.
0: Right. And this was Zack Snyder way, way before the DC Universe movies.
1: In fact, I didn't even know the name Zack Snyder when I went and saw this. This was the film that introduced me to Zack Snyder. I thought, well, I would like to see it because... I love the fact that this kid from St. Louis is is doing good, you know, and he's written the remake of a pretty big film. So I want to, you know, support it because of that. I was living in L. A. at the time, and I remember, you, you know, you and I would would talk once or twice a week. Yeah, and back then, folks, it was it was actually on the phone, you know, you right. didn't have video chat or anything like that.
0: And you uh, had to wait until after eight o'clock so that you got free long distance. Free long
1: distance and free <laughs> minutes. I forgot about that. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, yeah. So we we would chat and it was only like once or twice a week. And you and I would end up being on the phone for an hour, getting caught up with each other and, and filling each other in on, on what's going on in different areas of the country. But I remember you telling me that you had watched I think it was on USA they showed like the first eight minutes I think of the film yeah yeah I
0: I sat through something I can't remember what channel it might have been USA all I know is that they were they, they were like airing during this episode the first 10 minutes of the new Dawn of the Dead and I'm like all right yeah And and of course, I sit through the whole thing and they show it at the very end. So I was like, oh, wonderful. So I sat through something that I didn't care for, but it literally showed the beginning of the movie all the way up to where the opening credits would start.
1: Yeah. And I remember you telling me about that. And it was the combination of your review of the opening sequence and the fact that they used Johnny Cash that got me and my friends to say, "Okay, this weekend we're going to go see it. And we went to a theater in Hollywood called the Arclight, which is basically the old Cinerama Dome, the old uh, Cinerama Cinemascope uh, Dome Theater that you always see in in classic photos of Hollywood. And I don't think we saw it in the Dome. I think it was in one of the regular screenings, but it was a late show. It was like an 11.30 at night show. So by the time the film was over and we left... Hollywood, believe it or not, is not like New York. Hollywood is not a city that doesn't sleep because 75% of the people that live there work in the film industry. And most films, you got to be on set at five or six in the morning. So believe it or not, Hollywood actually does shut down at a certain point. And when we got out of that movie at like whatever it was, 2 a.m., something like that, it was dead quiet. And it was, we were so terrified <laughs> watching that film, especially right. the first 10 minutes, which I still think are some of the greatest 10 minutes in in horror films ever. My God, we were, we were just shaken. It was so, so amazing. And I've been a hardcore fan of this film ever since. They did a wonderful job, much like the Evil Dead remake of acknowledging from the get-go we are not going to try to redo character for character, moment for moment, the original film. Right, Right. There's no point in trying to match it. It's an amazing movie. Don't even try. Let's take the idea and do something of our own with it. And I think, in my opinion, that's why this film succeeds. That's why, as a remake it's a toss up between this and the original because it becomes its own entity while honoring the original.
0: Yeah. Because there are a lot of nods to the original. Oh sure. Yeah. They weren't acting like, Oh, the original never happened. We're just doing our own thing. There's, there's nods. And, and I appreciated that. And it's also one of those movies that it's like, let's take that premise and let's turn it up to 11. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, and and I don't count 28 days later, because those weren't zombies. No, they weren't. This is the first time that we got really fast moving zombies. Yeah. Now, sure, yes, technically in Return of the Living Dead, those corpses can can run. I mean, they just got out of the grave, but they can run. So science, uh, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. But this is the first time where you get mindless, flesh-eating, fast-running zombies. And I'm sorry, as a bigger man who doesn't do a lot of cardio, (laughs) that terrifies me. Because in the George A. Romero universe, I could be okay. I'm smart enough to where I know, well, don't get surrounded and just move faster than the rest of them. Mm -hmm. this is i'm sorry as soon as i run again i'm dead i'm 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 a lunchable and i didn't like that 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 (laughs) put me on edge as a matter of fact when i saw the preview for dawn of the dead in the theater the preview for the for for the showing at the end of it after all the craziness you see in you know dawn of the dead and then it kind of fades to white and you see hands Oh yeah, yeah, like they're on the other side of the movie screen, of that that silk screen that you're watching, and I'm like, uh-uh, nope, I'm <laughs> I'm not I'm not liking this. And then of course I had to go see it in the theater, and uh, you know I did, and I did not, I did not unclinch my ass until Ving Rames showed up with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Because then I was like, all right, Ving Rhames is here, he's got a shotgun, I'm okay.
1: You know, it's it's interesting, uh, you know, you, you make a joke about unclenching your ass, but one of the guys in our party that went to see it with us, he uh, he's a very good friend of mine, but he, he is kind of a cynic, and it takes a lot to really frighten him, and he was very excited about the film, and he's a, a zombie and horror fan, but they don't really scare him. Mm-hmm. And I remember when the credits, the opening credits started rolling and that first segment had ended. I remember trying to take a breath and I looked over at him and it was as if he had gotten hit by some sort of, you know, 200 mile per hour wind blast because (laughs) he was just white knuckling it on his his armrests and his body was plastered back almost into his chair. Almost like that that Homer Simpson meme where he goes into the the bushes. <laughs> it, uh, it, it was like that. He was like half in the chair and just this I, I couldn't believe it. And I thought, okay, there you go. Here's this cynic who doesn't get scared. And that terrified him. That's a good sign.
0: Yeah. And that's only the first 10 minutes. Right.
1: Right yeah it's it's tough i i I guess it's technically a split but i don't know that i'm going to even answer whether original or remake on this one because i love them both so so much and they are both in my constant rotation it would almost be like choosing one child over another i don't know that i could do it
0: wow wow okay well, me, I, 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 do, uh, I, I do have the testicular fortitude to give my opinion. <laughs> it's not a split for me because the original movie, I love Romero and Romero's universe that he created where the zombies are, are concerned. And Dawn of the Dead was always the one that they never, they never played on cable. You know, mm-hmm. it was either Night of the Living Dead or uh, Day of the Dead. And personally speaking, out of all of Romero's original films, it was actually Day of the Dead that gave me more nightmares as a young person than oh. Dawn.
1: Interesting. OK,
0: but let, let's be honest. But Despite the, the the awesome makeup work done by Tom Savini and his team and the message, the overall message mm-hmm. of the film. Mm hmm there is a lot of time in this movie where nothing happens.
1: That is true. Yep, that is true.
0: Quiet moments, and, and you would think quiet character moments, but but even then, it's not really quiet character moments. It's like, all right, well, here we go. 20 minutes of them just living in the mall. Whereas in in the remake, something is constantly always happening. That's true. And that may be because of the the rule where in modern day horror movies, something scary has to happen every 10 minutes. But I also found that you had more with more characters. You had more opportunity for character interaction. Whereas you only had four characters. Yes. In the original. So for me, while I love the original Dawn of the dead, I think the remake is better. (laughs) Now, before we jump to our number one spot, we do have some honorable mentions. Of course. First up, 2012's The Woman in Black. I have never seen the original film that I believe was just a TV movie.
1: I think it was. I think it was a, a BBC
0: film. BBC original film that yeah. uh, that was on TV, uh, evidently was extremely close to the source material, the book. So, So I do not have a frame of reference here all i know is that i loved the woman in black I, I thought uh for daniel radcliffe's first foray into film outside of harry potter he did a hell of a job and he keeps on doing a hell of a job I oh yeah
1: he just he he gets better and better as he's going i i become quite a
0: fan but uh but i felt that we had to put the woman in black because it is technically a remake it needed to be at least here in our honorable mentions
1: it yes absolutely and Something that I wanted to bring up in this episode to, to you, sir, and and to all of our listeners, I just noticed on social media maybe a week ago that they are putting out a remastered Blu-ray edition of the original TV version of The Woman in Black. Oh wow! It is supposed to come out sometime uh, this year, twenty twenty, and from what I've heard. It is a supposed to be a masterclass in pacing and directing. I too have never seen it, but it is supposed to come out at some point this year. So, you know, Nick, maybe at some point, maybe we'll do a, uh, a review of, of the original.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or even, even better. Maybe even do a, uh, versus machine oh, episode. Versus,
1: yeah. That's not a bad idea. Yeah.
0: Cause I could also, I've also wanted to read the book. I'd also like to read the book.
1: Sure, yeah. Our second honorable mention is The Ring from 2002. This is the film that introduced me to director Gore Verbinski. And uh, again, much like The Woman in Black, I have not seen the original film, the Japanese film Ringu, at least not in its entirety. I have seen pieces of it. It's it's unfair, I guess, for me to compare the two, since I have not seen the original in its entirety. But I have to say that the remake is still, I think, a great film. And I, I really enjoy watching it all the time. And that last sequence, when she crawls out of the TV, is still a great scene.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember seeing that in the theater with you. Yep. Yep. And then you had to work later that evening and left me alone in the apartment.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Yeah. 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 Wasn't uh <laughs> but wasn't fun. Sure as hell wasn't answering the phone. <laughs> oh, because because this asshole here while he's on his break calls me and does the whole
1: 70s! <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the, the back when people used to have house phones. <laughs> Uh, and our last, but certainly not least, honorable mention has got to be Night of the Living Dead from 1990. Yeah. Directed by Tom Savini, with, of course, George Romero's blessings. I mean, George was there, he was yeah. the produ- executive producer on the film. Yeah. It, it's the same movie, it's the original, only there are parts of it that are better. Uh, I still think that the original movie is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't touch it, but Mm -hmm. there are parts to the remake that heighten the tension between male and female, between white and black, between living and dead, between humanity and inhumanity. And it's one of the films that when I have a zombie marathon, I have to have that as a part of it. You know, I'll watch the original Romero stuff and then I'll watch Night of the Living Dead and I'll watch Dawn of the Dead. Sadly, even though they've remade it twice, Mm -hmm. there still hasn't been a great remake of Day of the Dead.
1: No, they really they really haven't nailed that one. No, but but this this 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead, I think, is the perfect example and, and one of very, very, very few that fit into this category of a remake that falls in between the parameters that we've been talking about, there are remakes that don't add anything new, and they're just complete rehashes of an original and then Psycho. There are, <coughs> right exactly, and from what I hear, the omen, which I didn't even bother seeing, but I hear that's pretty damn yeah. close shot for shot from what I
0: understand you weren't you weren't missing anything,
1: yeah, that's what I hear, and then there are remakes like the Dawn of the Dead and the Fly remake, which essentially are the same idea, but just with their own spin. The Night of the Living Dead remake is the perfect example of that middle ground. It is basically the old film, but it is not shot for shot. It's not just a rehash in color. (laughs) You know, it's not like what they did with Psycho. It is its own movie while also being the original film at the same time. It's a very strange uh, combo that you don't really see too often in remakes.
0: <laughs> Number one, The Thing. Released June 25th, 1982, The Thing was directed by John Carpenter with a screenplay by Bill Lancaster. Starring Kurt Russell, Keith David, Wilford Brimley, and a host of other excellent talent mm-hmm. could it be any other film nope no way there was very little debate on the number 1 spot it, it actually it was mostly number 2 and number 3 that that we kind of went back and forth with yeah. with yeah. but number 1 was kind of like no no it's just it's the thing yeah of course it's the thing yeah
1: i don't think there would be anybody that would disagree with us When we say that it is probably the greatest horror remake ever and one of the best remakes in film, period.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's just way too much in this film that it has going for it that would detract it from its top spot. It's excellent locations, excellent acting, superb makeup and Mm -hmm. practical effects. Mm -hmm. I mean, let us not forget in 1982, this movie was technically rated X. Yeah. For it's, it's violence and gore back when X didn't mean necessarily pornographic.
1: Right. I have an interesting story here regarding this film and which is kind of a lie because it's not really my story. It's someone else's story, but I'm going to use it. (laughs) My dad, as as many of you who've been listening probably know at this point you know Nick and myself and pop we're all actors we're all filmmakers and and we all are in the the midwest in the st louis area well in the early 80s when my dad was he had just joined the union he was just kind of getting things going and just starting he was uh, lucky enough to be cast in escape from New york yes and which you know everyone knows that great Carpenter film, and it was many, much of that film was shot in St. Louis, because the downtown St. Louis area, and particularly what is now known as the Grand Central Arts District in the St. Louis area, was pretty nasty back then. (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, It had not quite gone through its renovation, as it is known for now, but it was pretty gross back then, and there was a lot of dilapidated buildings there, including an old touring theater house that they used as an old Broadway house for the movie as a set for the film. So that, you know, my dad was on the set. He, uh, you can see him. He's one of the guys who captures Kurt Russell. Anyway, I I digress. The point that I'm getting at is that they were lucky enough to be able to sit and talk with Carpenter and Kurt Russell during meal breaks on that film. While they were sitting there and talking, my dad tells the story of Carpenter saying I'm going to have to turn the last couple of days over to the second unit director just to finish up inserts and things because I have to go and start prepping my next film which it looks like is going to be a remake of the thing from another world and all of these guys you know it's the early 80s they all grew up in the 50s that's one of their favorite movies of all time they all got so excited Unbelievable that my dad was sitting there as Carpenter was saying, oh yeah, I'm about to go prep this other film. And this other film ends up being one of the greatest remakes of all time. Yeah. Just just an incredible experience for him to be able to sit there and, and be a part of that. But this is another case where, you know, they took the original and Carpenter knew the essence of that had to translate into a modern film or modern for the time and kept that while expanding and updating everything else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Early eighties, you know, we're dealing with the cold war. Mm -hmm. Who can you trust? You know, this was very invasion of the body snatchers feel the original film. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a classic Howard Hawks film, Mm -hmm. but, Nothing really happens. Again, it's it's one of those things to where there's a couple of moments of, oh, crap, what is that? And kill it. Kill it with fire. Uh, really, that movie is more of uh, an example of building tension and surprise. Because if you notice, if you go back and rewatch it, there's a lot of shots of people just walking through doors. Mm-hmm. Over and over. Just, just click, click. Walking through the door. Close the door. Walking through the door. Close the door. Until the moment when somebody opens the door and there's the frickin' thing from another world, and you're shocked. It's like, oh, crap, I wasn't expecting somebody to be on the other side of that door because I've been lulled into a false sense of security that all these doors are safe.
1: I would also say that the original is an exercise in letting actors do their thing. Hmm. Because, you know, it's it's at a time when you don't do a lot of cutaways, you don't do a lot of inserts. You know, you let scenes play out in one shot just because of the nature of the way cameras worked back then in locations and sets and lighting. Uh, It it just, that's what you did. And as a result, you get performances that are very real, especially for the time. Mm. You know, these, these people, there are multiple conversations going at one time. People talk over each other like they do in real life, which is something you don't see in films in the 50s. And one of the things I really appreciate about the remake is whether it was intentional or, or not, Carpenter carried that over and added in the modern technique of filmmaking on top of it. Right. You get these real and natural dialogue discussions and, and approaches that you would have gotten from the original... But he heightened it by, like you said, actually showing us stuff.
0: Where this one is concerned, this one is no contest. There, there, there is no contest. Uh, not only enjoyment factor, but story-wise. The remake is superior to the original.
1: I hate saying that because I, I love the original. I'm such a huge fan, but yeah, I, I unfortunately, I gotta go with the remake. Those are our choices for the seven best horror remakes and three honorable mentions. But what we want to know now is what horror remakes would you have included on this list? Do you agree with our list? Did we omit things that you think should have been on there? Did we include films on our list that you don't agree with at all? Head on over to any one of the Two Guys Talking Horror social media sites, and we are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, you know, all the, the social media platforms that you can want and let us know your thoughts.
0: Well, since we have come to the end of our list, it means we have come to the end of our episode. Mm -hmm. I hope that you have enjoyed our trip through somewhat nostalgia, some, a little bit of film school. Mm -hmm. We love sharing stories, stories, from our past and our, our experiences with our listeners and we want to hear your stories as well so please reach out talk to us let us know what you're thinking but until next time I'm one of your hosts Nicholas J. Hearn
1: I'm your other host Jason Contini
0: and remember don't be afraid of the dark be afraid of what's in the dark congratulations congratulations You've survived this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. We hope you were entertained and informed by our program. Take what you have learned and pass it on to your family and friends. It may just save their lives someday. Have questions? Comments? Suggestions for a future episode? Visit our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side. And fill out our short web form. It's the easiest way to interact with the hosts. Beware of monsters, creatures, and all things that go bump in the night. And keep telling yourself, it's only a podcast. It's It's only only a podcast. podcast. It's only a podcast. It's It's only a podcast. podcast. It's only a podcast. It's It's only a podcast. podcast. a podcast. a podcast. podcast. Okay, so, uh, Two Guys Talking Horror, Lethal Listings, Seven Best Horror Remakes, in three, two... Remember, you're starting. Oh, I'm sorry,
1: I I misunderstood, I thought you were. Okay, sorry. Um, Oh
0: yeah, no, that's right. I was wrong. (laughs) Okay. I'm starting... I'm the first paragraph, you're the second paragraph. Okay, okay. You're not crazy, I'm
1: crazy. (laughs) Well, I don't know, we'd think both of us, but anyway... (laughs)